Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. Aha. <laughs> there he is. Aha. There he is. Is right. Good morning. Um, Good evening. Fantastic. Hello, Dan Russell, man. I tell you what, this is this. I've been looking forward to this. This is like the highlight of my Victoria Day long weekend. Wow. Thanks so much, Todd. It's nice. It's nice. It's great. Uh, can you see me? Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. I can see you. I can hear you. Um, yeah, Dan, I mean, straight up you, uh, and I don't want to gush too much here cause I do want to get to, you know, a good interview out here, but you are certainly part of growing up in, in BC for so many sports fans and, uh, uh you know, just, uh, excited to talk to you and, and, and kind of, you know, get to know you a little bit here. So, well, uh, thanks, Todd. That's great. Thank you very much. Those are kind words. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, of course, we worked in the same building together too back in the yes. day. Uh, back congrats, then. congrats on the on the book. Pleasant it's, good uh, evening, a memoir. Yes, it's been great so far. The response has. I don't know if anybody's buying it. Well, I know some are. Well, That's some are buying it. Yeah. I mean, it has it, it, and it's doing really well as far as uh, I, I can see. I'm kind of like digging around and, and seeing the numbers and stuff, and you're doing really well. You're like a number one seller at this point, is it not? Yes, I'm humbled. I'm trying to be a little bit shy about it. Yes, I, exactly. I don't want to jinx it because I have no idea how many, but I know people are buying it. I know it's number one in about three categories on the Amazon list. And I think the last time I looked, it was about the 35th overall book in all of Canada in the last uh, little, a few days. So that's, I mean, incredible. That really is incredible. And I, I heard now, how much did you draw from this? Because I'd heard that you kept a diary of literally every single sports talk show that you did, like nearly 8,000 shows. Is this correct? It is correct. Uh, people could say I'm meticulous. I was probably a bit of a geek that way, keeping all those notes. But, you know, I didn't just keep the diary. I kept a journal of all my comings and goings for 20, 25 years. Wow. And then I had hundreds of hours of audio tape. But as for the diaries, they were really helpful in putting the book together because, I, you know, you could go back and it would just trigger a, a thought, a mind, a memory. Uh, and uh, I could go back and look at 1992 and I could choose the month of February and, and know on February 10th, which uh, guest was in what hour, the first hour, the second, the third, were they live were they in studio? Was it a pre-tape? Did we take calls? What was the open phones about? Yeah. I kept a, a real thorough diary. That's amazing, Dan. And so how long was this book in the making and how much did COVID-19 play into you actually finding the time to sit down and, and, and hash it out and write the book? Yeah, I, I actually, years ago, decided my kids were so young, I better jot some stuff down. And then I, I typed like a maniac one summer, and, and it was a very rough copy. But I had chapters, and I put things down and, and thought, okay, well, one day I might get back to it. And I used to tease on the air, you know, something would come up, and, and uh, somebody would ask me, you know, an in-depth question about maybe the behind the scenes stuff. And I said, well, I'll save that for the book one day. I'll, I'll put that in my book. And I was kind of tongue in cheek, but the back of my mind thought, well, maybe I'll do that. And then, as you said, Todd, the COVID hit and uh, everybody was looking for a COVID project. And, and I thought, okay, here it is. Uh, I got a brand new laptop. I've got all my notes. I've got my rough copy from years ago. Let's go for it. Nice. And, and how much editing did you have to do to, to write the book, I would imagine there's probably twice as many stories as you've included. That's a great point. Um, you know, when I did the first or early drafts, the book came in 
probably at about 130,000 words, I'm sorry to say. Uh, I got it under 100,000 for the manuscript. So there's 30,000 edited words right there. Stories that I thought could make the book, but they're, you know, you just don't want it to be war and peace. And so therefore you, <laughs> you get it out of there. But, you know, it's just uh, a lot of editing and a lot of being choosy. Even within the manuscript, you cut down on the stories a lot uh, just to keep it moving. And for me, for uh, for your time with uh, Sports Talk, certainly Wednesday nights with Brian Burke. The Brian Burke segment was like huge. You know, I think that pretty much every single Canuck fan was at that point listening to your show. What stands out most from Burke's visits to your show? Well, you know, I, I say in the book that Brian, as a talk show host, you are looking for certain qualities of a guest. Um, some of those qualities include being smart, being outspoken, being humorous, being quick, being passionate, being loyal. There's six on that checklist right now. He checked all those boxes. Yeah. So he, he, was, he was a terrific guest. The timing was incredible again. I was first in the market in 84. He arrived in 87. Um, you know, he, he, he came on the show one, the first day he was, you know, named. And I thought, wow, this is great. And as soon as it was over, I said, you know, this is remarkable. I've never heard management person speak like this before. So fresh, so, so uh, passionate and caring. So I said, you know, it'd be great if you could come on every week. And I didn't say every week. More often, he says, I'll come on every week. That was his words. And I went, I don't believe that to myself. I said, no, but he right. never missed. He, 12 months a year, he was there. But we had our ups and downs, as the book will go through. We had our good times, and we had our real sour times. Um, and, uh, you know, it was unfortunate, but that's a, that weaves through the book for sure. Right. Uh, and how could I not bring up the pauser? Like, Wow, did he ever become part of your show, hey? He did. Um, everybody seems to bring up the positive. Uh, and rest in peace, Paul LaFleur. Uh, you made impact, and he did. And I would say, and I have said, and I did write in the book, that uh, not just sports shows, any show in Vancouver, he was the most famous caller who ever called a radio talk show. And, uh, you know, I used to, I, I recognized that uh, pretty early on, not real early on it, first he kind of bothered me and then i got it and <laughs> and then it got to the point where i would actually promo i'd promote the fact that the pauser's on the phone board and make oh, people wait are you kidding me sometimes I, you'd be like well the pauser's on and you wouldn't hear him for like 20 minutes because you would you'd stick him around for that long right and then i used to hear from listeners saying i was sitting in my driveway in my dark car i turned off the engine to the car after a beer league game and you said the pause was coming on. And I got neighbors looking at me from their other windows. What is this strange man doing in his car? Well, they were listening and waiting for the pause to come on. Right. Everything that a talk show host wants. How long did it take for you to, to name him the pauser? Was it right away? It was right away. Uh, he was just, I don't know. It was something of his voice and, and, and how he was telling the story. He would speed up, speed up, and then suddenly he would stop. And, and, and there'd be this long gap of dead air and i go come on get on with it you're just pausing you're just nothing but a pauser and you keep doing that but again uh, almost you know i've said this too you know he, he had a quality that some broadcasters don't have he had that pacing quality uh that would leave you kind of hanging and so I, I i said todd a few times that you know i 
I did bring out the best in him, but he probably brought out the best in me too. Sometimes not the best, but usually the best. Right. And how long before you put him in the penalty box? Well, usually that would only occur not for what he said on the air, but for how he was treating the producers off the air. That 20 minute waiting on hold, he didn't like. And he would often get back, you know, as a producer would say, hey, pause it. You're still there. You're still there. You know, they get on the phone and they'd say, you know, you're coming up soon. You're coming. Well, now we would start calling them names I won't say on the Toddcast. Sure, sure. Uh, how long have you been retired for? Um, since 2014. So that was the 30th yep. year of, yep. uh, of sports talk. And so I've been retired, you know, for seven, eight years. Yeah. So we're talking seven, eight. Yeah. So do you, do you miss being on the radio? Sometimes I do. And lately I have because I've done a number of these chats and discussions and being on this side of an interview is strange for me because I did I don't oh, tens of uh, thousands and thousands of interviews and many with book authors and and honestly Todd I had no idea how much it took for that book author who was on my show to get that book from manuscript to an actual book so I have a whole new appreciation retroactively for that Right. I do miss it. Um, I, I would even entertain doing something. I don't know what that would be right now. But, yeah, there are times I miss it. I mean, it's in your blood, right? It's in your DNA. Oh, for sure. I, I needed the break. Uh, I mean, I had to keep up with everything in sports and, and otherwise. And So I think when I stopped doing the show, unbeknownst to me at the time, it, it was a great relief to not have to worry about every single thing that was going on that sure. would come up in sports on the show. And now we're into the the second round of the playoffs. Of course, you're you're watching the play. You're over in Thailand now, right? You're, you're watching. You're able to watch all that stuff just like regular, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I want to, and I have been. Um, yeah. Certainly, uh, I'm intrigued by that Battle of Alberta, like everybody else is in Western no, Canada. Um, and I can't believe, can't believe how, what kind of show Connor McDavid is putting on. Uh, that that's, uh, and does he ever get off the ice? That's another question I have, but I think, I, he, I, think uh, I read something, uh, today that he has more points today, of course, in second round than the most points in the 2013 overall playoffs. Wow. I haven't read that, but I know he has, uh, almost every game is a multi-point game. You know, right. this is the national hockey league. This is not minor hockey. This is not junior hockey. Right. This is the best hockey league in the world. And he's treating it like it is junior hockey or, or minor hockey. I mean, he's, a, he's just a, a, an amazing, amazing hockey player. To do all that at such great speed and have such great hands. Wow. Is Edmonton ever lucky to have lucky. him? Yeah, they, he sees the ice unlike most. Um, do you see Edmonton making it past the Flames? I don't know. I mean, this series, I mean, the first game was a beer league game. The sure second you know. game settled down and Edmonton came back and then in, in game three, it was all Edmonton, and Calgary didn't look like they had an answer. They looked overwhelmed in Edmonton uh, by the crowd, by the atmosphere. Um, and uh, so, but it's turning every game. So I, I, I find it very hard to predict uh, how that one's going to go. Uh, somehow, I'm sure everybody in Calgary is saying, we have to have an answer for McDavid. How do we stop number 97? Nobody has an answer yet until they find that answer at least contain him. He'll never stop him, but at least contain him. Then uh, I guess Edmonton will move on. 
Yeah, he sure makes uh, a lot of people look pretty foolish out there for sure. Uh, to our boys, to the Vancouver Canucks, if, if you were able to build the ultimate Vancouver Canucks using past and present players, uh-huh. who, who makes your team? I like the 94 team, but I know that's not your question. Yeah. Um, Boy, that 94 team is something. They sure were. Uh, they were. They were the peak of the franchise to this moment. I mean, it's just too difficult to answer that question. I don't want to skirt it, but it's too difficult because the eras, the eras change, you know, that the way the hockey's played, it changes. And, you know, you just, you know, of course, Pavel Burry is the greatest player that ever put on a Canuck uniform in terms of sheer talent, but Trevor Linden and Stan Smeal had the biggest heart that you, you could ever have. I mean, the ingenuity of the Sedin twins was amazing. It was just off the charts. Amazing. So, um, you know, the goaltending of McLean in 94, Berdur in 82, or, or Luongo in 2011. I mean, it's just all, you know, just too difficult to answer. But, you know, yeah. uh, but there's no Stanley Cup banner up there. You know, it's, it's over 50 years. And uh, how long is the wait going to be? And it gets tougher every year because there's now 32 teams in the National Hockey League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting that you brought up uh, Beret. Uh, when I mentioned, Dan, that you're going to be on the, the podcast, of course, I got a, a, a bunch of your, your fans wanted to ask you questions. And Mike says, who is the best Canuck of all time and why is it Pavel Bure? <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Mike. You got it. Um, yeah, it. I mean, the first game that all, all of us who were old enough to remember, either watching on TV or being as I was in the Pacific Coliseum, was just, it, it was like, he, he took the puck, and people watching or listening to you, they, they know what this is. I mean, it was about second period. He had a couple of chances around the net before, but in the second period, he took that puck from inside the line, his own blue line, and roared to the other end. And there was a buzz that I had, and, and I've followed the Canucks. I've been with, I was the perfect age when they came in. So I have the entire franchise in my head, uh, the history. So I was 10 years old in 1970. I had never seen, and nobody had ever felt that buzz in the Coliseum. And he did not score on that goal, uh, on that play. But there was a buzz like, wow, we have a player here. We have a, a Bobby Orr type. We have a Guy Lafleur type. We have a, a Mary, whoever it is. I mean, I'm not saying he's those. But we, that the collective we in Vancouver, had never seen a player like that. And that one rush from inside his own line to the Winnipeg Jets goal crease or thereabouts I think was so memorable because it was such a first and it set the tone for what would happen the rest of the way and of course that culminated in game seven of round one in 94 when Jeff Brown feeds him that perfect pass and he goes in and double overtime is that double overtime or overtime I'm trying to get my overtime straight and he and he won the game in the series, and the Canucks were on their way. And a couple of rounds later, they'd be playing Game Seven in the Stanley Cup Final. Right. It really is hard to argue that Burry was the best. You know, uh, Drew says uh, Dan Russell back in the day was my favorite talk show. Did a ton of interesting interviews back when things were so different. No social media, uh, no camera phones, all that. He basically made sports talk into what we know as the best sports talk show ever. Who does he think is one of the best sports broadcasters to do it? <laughs> The format or just sports broadcast? Sports broadcast, I guess, yeah. Well, my hero is Jim Robson. And uh, 
I love Vin Scully as well. And if I lived, if I lived in Los Angeles growing up, Vin Scully was number one on my list. But our Vin our Vin Scully in Vancouver uh, was Jim Robson. Yeah. Uh, he was so professional. So, well, I mean, his play-by-play on the radio is second to none still. I mean, he's so descriptive. He could paint the picture like no other. Now, not unlike sports talk, he, his timing was incredible. Why? Because in those days, uh, well, when I started, there was no other shows, right? So in his days, when the Canucks came in the NHL, the games were not on television. I mean, there would only be about, uh, in an 80-game schedule, which they played back then, there might be 12 games out of those 80 that made it onto television on a uh-huh. Saturday night. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe 12, sometimes 10, I think. But it was three or four years in when BCTV started a midweek package, and that gave us another 10. So at the most for the first decade, you know, there was only like 15, 20 games on television. Why is that important? Because Jim Robson, like myself, had the market to himself. Now he had the games and he was so good at it, so descriptive, uh, but he was able to, uh, you know, even grow uh, more because there was no way you could hear a Vancouver Canucks game from Pittsburgh other than listening to Jim Robson. Ken wants to know, what was your favorite station to work for? My favorite probably was uh, Rock 101 CFMI. Uh, now, people might find that a little surprising. It was groundbreaking, too. The show itself was groundbreaking in 1984. But what people don't talk about very much is how groundbreaking it was in 1989 when Sports Talk became the first um, regular Monday through Friday talk show in Canada to be on the FM airwaves. FM back then was only, as you know, Todd, so well. FM was for music. Sure. AM was for talk. And so um, we went to FM. That was groundbreaking. But the freedom was great. I mean, we were left to our own devices. Well, we always were through the 30 years. But, it, you know, there was no news breaks like there were at all the other radio stations. So, we, you know, we could keep the momentum going through the top of the hour. And it was just it was just a lot of fun. And, you know, that's when the, uh, the Canucks went to the Stanley cup final in 94. So that coincides with that. And there's a lot of great memories. I, I really enjoyed my, my time. I liked a lot of the stations, but that one was my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rick's got a great question. How hard was it to get good guests for your show? Um, it became really hard at the end. It was not hard at the beginning. Back in the beginning, because in 84, again, we're back to that same theme. How many of these kinds of shows were there? I mean, there was one French-speaking show in Quebec. There was John Short in Edmonton. That was it for Canada. And I think maybe just a real small handful in America doing this genre. So I would phone potential guests and found it remarkably easy. Uh, What? And that, you know, I, I remember one night the Oilers were coming to town. I, I phoned Mark Messier, and next thing I know, he's in our studio. Dan <laughs> Kelly from the St. Louis Blues, uh, Derek Sanderson. I, I just remember a lot of them not only, not only saying yes, but saying yes to coming down to the studio and taking calls live, and it was good. But then as time moved on, a couple of different things happened. More talk shows started to sprout out. 
And yep. it was the novelty for the guests was not there. And then fast forward another 10 years or so, and you get near the end of uh, uh, my run and the smartphone changed a lot. And I have to say that the smartphone changed because everybody had, you know, a take. And so that changed the volume of calls on the phone board, but they also changed, uh, you know, just trying to get guests. They were more, they had their guard up more. It was uh, more difficult. It was, it seemed the last few years we were pre-taping interviews more than we were going live. And then, mm. you know, it became a lot of the media interviewing itself too, because, and that's fine. The media is, you know, make a lot of media members make great guests. They say stuff and, you know, the, the topics go pretty well. Uh, but it just became more of a call out show and a lot of media talking to media. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Uh, Jonathan Hartman says my first actual real radio job was nervously operating the board on sports talk with Dan Russell, not just a legend in sports broadcasting, but gracious and a kind person that I was fortunate to learn from. Not necessarily a question, just a feel good moment for you. Well, when you said the name John Hartman, I said, I know that name. Where do I know that from? And then you just filled in the gap. So yeah. that's very kind. Thank you, John. Uh, real quick, and I told you I was be maybe 15, 20. We're at 20 now, but if I could steal maybe five more minutes of your time. Sure, go ahead. Quickly get outside of sports and, and what you're known for. So what are, you, what are you binge watching right now? What are the shows you can't get enough of? Better Call Saul. Wow. I love Better Call Saul. That's my favorite. Uh, a close second is Ozark, which I'm, I'm done with now. So I do like those two shows a lot. Breaking Bad, my son, I introduced that to him a few months ago with uh, some trepidation because my son 15? Is, he's 15 and I thought, you know, well, there's a lot of education in this show, but sure. I think uh, when, when he started liking Jesse more than he liked some of the other people, I thought, oh, be careful. But no, um, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, uh, they're brilliant. The, the writing in those shows is just second to none. I really yeah. like Ozark a lot too. So yeah. uh, that's it. I'm looking for another one, because, but I'm waiting for the end of uh, Saul. So if you have a suggestion for me to binge watch something, I'm all ears. Ooh. Oh man, I'm on Merlin right now, personally. That's all about like King Arthur and Camelot and all that. It's pretty cool. How is it? Yeah, I mean, it's like not amazing, but my kids really enjoy it. I've got like a, a almost 12 and a nine and a half year old. So you, know, you kind of go all with right. it what they're interested in and they seem to like that a lot uh i'm into love death and robots what when, when they go to sleep love death and robots oh. check that out it's oh. very uh it's all it, you know it's it's a series but each episode is self-contained so you don't need to see I every episode i heard about that it's so good is dude. that You'll netflix be, netflix yeah it's really good okay yeah all right i'll give that a look at sure Robots like in the future and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What was? Let the me tell you something though. Uh, one thing about this, Todd, is that I work nights, and you know that, right? Yeah. I worked a lot of nights. You know, I never saw Seinfeld <laughs> when it was on, wow. but I've been. But I. But Netflix has maybe all their series, I think. And I started it at round one, a season one, episode one. And I don't watch it regularly, but anytime I'm sort of going to have lunch or something and I have 20 minutes by myself or 30 minutes, I'll put one of those episodes on. 
Yeah. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that I hadn't really seen much of it, but I had a pretty good excuse. Right. And now that you've seen it, you're like, oh, okay, now clearly that's one of the reasons why it's one of the best series yeah. of all time. Of Unbelievable. All time. Unbelievable. What uh, Dan, what was, what's the music like uh, in the Russell house as a kid growing up? Like, what are you, what are you hearing in the, in the oh, house yeah. as a little guy? A uh, little guy. I'm, well, I listen to my dad's music a lot and uh, my mom's and, so, and I still like some of that. My dad was more big band. He was, a, he grew up in the big band era and always told me there was nobody like Benny, Benny Goodman or Gene Krupa. So I, I moved from that. Uh, I was a real seventies guy. And even now, if you went into my car, you'd probably say, yeah, that's a lot of seventies music. Well, it's um, the best, however, the best era for my, music though. That's why. That's why. But when my kids get in the car, I, I let them drive the, uh, not the car, but I let them drive the music box. And yeah. so I, I listen and, you know, some of it's great. Some of it is like, wow, is that really music? And, you know, but that's showing my age, um, yeah. you know, the rap stuff. I, I, I just can't, there's some of it though, that because I get pounded with it, there's some of it that I, I it grows on me. I, I have to say, sure. but overall, if it's not for my son, especially I wouldn't listen to rap. Yeah. Yeah. What was the first concert that you went to? Peter Frampton, 1976, the uh, Show Me the Way Frampton Comes Alive uh, uh, double album, which was and probably remains one of the largest, if not the largest live selling album of all time. I love Peter Frampton back then. I was uh, I could still remember being there. That's the first time I smelled uh, marijuana. Um, I didn't <laughs> partake. <laughs> still told. But I, I didn't know what I. What was that, you know, but just hearing I had that album for quite some time before seeing him. And of course, it's a live album. So when he comes on stage, it's very much like hearing the album. And it was magical. Um, and I, I still love that album. Um, it's a great uh, album. So yeah, that was that, that that was my first. Yeah. Well, and he was the guy that like that talk box where they shoved that thing down. the Yeah. He was like the guy that kind of brought that into the into the mix. Was he not? I think he was. I don't. I don't know if he invented it, but he certainly made it uh, yeah, famous. Yes. And and yeah. and he he had the idea for it, and it it works. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Dan, thank you again for for taking some time to join us here at Toddcast in Vancouver. Uh, I want to respect your time. I'll ask you two more questions, and we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. No problem, so, Todd. Thank you. I, I would love for you to share a near death story with us, like one where you could have or maybe should have died. On the air or off? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I died a few times on the air, I'm sure. Um, well, my city radio was uh, was a, an experiment that was, it's in the book, so I'll leave that. Uh, hmm. You know, I'm very lucky, I guess, because I can't think of one. Mm. Um, I really cannot. Uh I have to touch wood when I say it. Yes, no kidding. Uh, I was just going to say I, that because most people do. Like I've probably talked to, I don't know. A thousand, what's yours? Thousand. Well, I've got a few. I almost got hit by a train when I was in grade three. Ooh. I got chased by a grizzly bear uh, when Ooh. I was probably grade six. Probably a couple hundred meters anyway. The whole like hair on my whole body was standing up. I could hear him growling and stuff. Um, wow. Ooh, I get shivers I, on that one. I, I broke my collarbone as a as a grade eleven, grade twelve kid riding down a really steep hill in Terrace with on a ten speed that had no uh, no brakes, and uh, I almost hit my friends that were riding ahead of me. 
So I thought, I'll oh, screw it. I'll just go off and off to the side and I'll, I'll go onto the sidewalk and, and the inertia of going from the hill to the sidewalk, I'm plowing through somebody's yard, a couple of yards. And then I get to this little, little theater that has a beveled walkway. Pac-Man, the front tire flew over the handlebars. And, uh, you know, if I had been over four or five inches over, doctor thinks I probably would have killed myself. I have a few, man. I have. I, ha I do have one, I think, now that you bring. And I do write about it in the book. And it actually ends my Western Hockey League on Shaw chapter. Um, so I'm in Medicine Hat one night. And it's, it's near the end of my uh, time of doing Shaw. And I was trying to figure, should I keep doing it or not? And I had three young kids at home. And here I had this show. And why am I going all around Western Canada with in the middle of winter and there was this you know i saw a lot of bad conditions in my life but this particular night and i was working without my partner i had a different one but not one that would be in the car with me and i wanted to get back to calgary so the longtime medicine hat announcer who actually drove their team bus for decades bob ridley came up to me in the intermission and said you should not drive tonight the roads are terrible but i had an airline ticket i had the young kids at home and I thought, ah, I'll take a chance. So I get on the highway. I'm not 20 kilometers out of Medicine Hat heading back to Calgary. And it is terrible. And and I'm for I could probably get to 40 kilometers an hour tops. I'm holding on for dear life. There's all these farm fields to the right and left of me. And I thought if the car went off the road, they might not find me until springtime when when this uh, thaws out. And, right. and during the, and it, it's usually a three, three and a half hour drive. It took me about six hours to get back to Calgary. And I, when I got there, I said, that's it. I'm not going to do it anymore. This is not worth it. it. The whole way. And yeah. The whole way. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have a real incident, but it sure, it sure shook me up. Sure. Yeah. Well, I had, uh, I had an uncle that lived in Calgary and a, an uncle that lived in uh, Medicine Hat when I was a little kid. I'd always do the, the summer trips and sometimes we would do the wintertime and they were freaking crazy road trips, right? They were. Crazy, yeah, I had yeah. many of them, but that one, that one particular really jolted me. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Dan, last one. This is going to be the hardest question I'll ask you. Through 30 years of sports talk, we're talking 8,000, nearly 8,000 shows. How hard, comes. It, how hard would it be for you to pick one career highlight? Uh, I, I just keep coming back to Bobby Orr because Bobby Orr was my my hero he's the whole reason i loved hockey i saw him play as a boston bruin in 1968 it was a saturday night on hockey night in canada i remember my dad saying watch number four watch number four i'm only eight years old i watched him all right as so did the rest of the country and i was turned on a couple of years later he's flying through the air winning the stanley cup so it took a few years but there was a night at the fog and suds in fact we had him on three times but the first night at the Fog and Suds was such a thrill to have him. And he was a real gentleman. And we promoted those tickets uh, at the Fog and Suds. We were giving away, uh, or sorry, giving the money to charity, but we charged $10 a ticket just to control the crowd as much as anything. Uh, so they bought their tickets a week ahead of time and it sold out on the phone in, you know, nanoseconds. Everybody wanted to see Bobby Orr. But I kept saying on the air, you know, that these are not guaranteed seats. You have to get there early to get the best seat. Well, little did I know that early to them meant five in the afternoon. So my show started at 10. They're there five hours beforehand waiting for the great Bobby Orr to arrive. And uh, the great name of the restaurant is Fog and Suds. And the emphasis that night was the Suds. Yes. 
clearly it would be. Yes. Uh, again, thank you for joining us, uh, Dan Russell. Congrats on the book. Pleasant good evening. A memoir. Uh, you are easy to find online uh, at Dan Russell ST on Twitter. Dan right. Russell Sports Talk on Facebook. And uh, I guess and I have a new website, oh. DanRussellSportsTalk.com. And some of the memories you're talking about, if you go to my website, DanRussellSportsTalk.com, there's a a section in the audio vault called turn back the tape. There's also memoir moments and anything you want to know about the book is in there as well. So thank you for letting me say that. And right. of course the book is available on Amazon and uh, I just can't believe I've been on the Toddcast today. <laughs> yes, you have. And of course there's excerpts in, uh, in the province and the Vancouver sun uh, right now. Right now, uh, a five-part series. I'm very on, and the Calgary Herald apparently is oh, nice. uh, printing those as well. So, isn't that lovely? Yes. Yeah. Awesome, Dan. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll see you online. Thanks again. All best, Todd. Thanks for having me. The Toddcast Podcast. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at Toddcast Podcast. <laughs>